All right, welcome back to the Audible. Kimbo Camper, John Kajemi. It's been a couple of weeks, and John, things are starting to heat up, so I think you and I are going to be talking a little more often over the next few weeks. Well, we should anyway, Bo. You know, we're good yeah. friends. we got to talk a lot more in the <laughs> offseason, and there's a lot to talk about, especially with the draft coming up, you know, in a week. Yeah, good stuff, good stuff. And let me remind you, the Audible is presented by AutoNation, America's largest and most recognized automotive retailer. You can save all over 100,000 vehicles right now at AutoNation.com. All right, John, so here we are, man. It's, it's the, the draft's right around the corner, and, you know, there, there's a, there are a number of days, weekends in the, in the NFL calendar that, boy, really get to get your hair standing up on the back of your neck, and, and certainly the draft is one, and it's right upon us, and, well, I tell you what, I, I'm, you know, I feel like I've been a kid in an ice cream store. You got three picks, you got two picks in the first round, you got a high third round pick, and boy, you've got a good, a, a lot of opportunity. I don't know that I've been this excited for a draft uh, in a long time with where this team is at, what they've accomplished in two years, and what we think they may accomplish over the next couple of weeks. Well, it can change the dynamic of, of your organization. If you do it right, if you're able to hit on the draft choices that are out there and be able to plug those players in, make them be impactful right away. And that's what the Dolphins have, you know, with their first four picks in the top 50, you have to be able to strike. You have to be able to go in and identify the positions of need and then plug those players in that you feel like are going to make an instant impact on your offense, on your defense, and then later on in the draft on your special teams. Because it does take all three facets. I think Tampa was an outlier last year. Uh, they didn't pay a whole lot of attention to their special teams because a lot of their star players couldn't play on the special teams. Right. So they had to make do with what they had. But they had good enough offense and a good enough defense to carry that other unit to a Super Bowl. Now, when you look at this, uh, you talk about the, the, the picks, the top 50 picks uh, in the draft, four of them. Um, what do you see, John, in your mind? And it kind of changes with this shuffling, shuffling NFL. You know, there was the Deshaun Watson hot guy, and then that cooled off really quickly in a bad way. And yet you see quarterback, more quarterback movement this year, John, than I can recall in a long time. Um, and, and it opens the doors for a lot of different situations. You feel like it's six with the Dolphins. They're going to really be able to get pretty much what they want. But that being said, that's if things fall out the way – we expect them to fall out, which, like we've seen in the past couple of years, John, not always the case. <laughs> you never know, Bo, what's going to happen in the draft. You absolutely don't know. There could be a, a draft a trade that the Dolphins make that actually changes the dynamic of what their needs are. I still think, you know, although the names may have changed from a month ago, two months ago for the Miami Dolphins, I think their needs haven't changed. I still think they need a wide receiver. At six, pick your flavor. It doesn't really matter to me. Depends on, you know, who's, who's still there. <clears throat> At 18, I would say the Dolphins need a running back. Pick your flavor there again. I would go with Harris, but uh, Etienne is quality. Uh, you have Williams out of North Carolina. He's, he's, he does everything. They're, they're an every down back. So I think there's a lot of certainty with what you need and those positions are still there. Those players are still there. I just don't know how the board's going to fall, as you said, Bo, with all the uncertainty. I think with the 49ers on who they're going to pick as that third quarterback coming off the board. And then you have uh, 
Atlanta is an outlier. They could go after that wide receiver slash tight end Kyle Pitts uh, that the Dolphins may covet. And then Cincinnati could do the same, or they could both go offensive linemen. So there's a lot of uncertainty, but the Dolphins need uh, of, of wide receiver and running back in the early picks, that has not changed. Yeah, and, and, and John, no matter what happens in the top five, uh, they're going to have their choice there. They're going to have – I mean, you're talking about, you know, you any, anywhere from Penny Sewell could fall down there to, to Pitts falls down there, which, you know, and then, and then that plethora of, of wide receivers out there, the kid from Clemson, the two Alabama guys. I mean, you know, it's like, well, which, you know, which, which style do you want? you want Calvin Johnson or do you want a little speedy mm-hmm. guy that can, that can go over the top all the time? So the opportunities are there. Do you think the Dolphins are done moving? Because over the last week or so, there's been, you know, there, there's been this little, I keep seeing this little thing pop up every now and then. Hey, the Dolphins might want to get it back up to four uh, by trading. And I'm, I'm sitting to myself saying, wait, look, let's not get greedy here. We're right. pretty happy with where we're at at six, at 18. And then, and then with your two picks in the second round, like you said, I think you can come away with a, you know, you're really, you know, for, for a team that over the last couple of years, John, you know, you come in and drive, you go, you know, there's so many needs for this team. I don't see that as the case this year. There are specific needs that this team has, and they're all going to be there at number six. Unless somebody yep. or some organization showers you with gifts sure. in terms of draft capital over the next couple of years, I think the Dolphins would have made a mistake moving from three to six and then trying to get back to number four. Yep. If they knew what they wanted at three, they should have stayed at three, picked their guy, and move on, go to 18, pick your guy. I think that right now the Dolphins are still in a pretty good position to get and covet the wide receiver that they want. Now, if, like I said, an organization might be desperate to move up, if that's the case and the Dolphins can get more draft capital and still get their guy, and still get their guy, go for it. But I would have stayed at three, if if that was if, the case, if, you, you know, if, you, if that was the case, you were going to do that. But but you know yeah. what? It's, you know it's funny. You you could you could you could you could literally you could go into this draft. Trevor Lawrence goes number one, and then all of a sudden, someone comes out of left field with something at two or three, and then all of a sudden, then the trade window's open. You may have guys below you that are coveting some of those guys they didn't think were going to be there. That now you go, okay, all right, okay. Now let's now let's talk a little bit. And, 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 and see what you do there. But other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of like with you. Let's, you know, I, you, you know, there's, there's a, I was taught a long time ago in business, you know, uh, pigs get fat, hog, hogs get slaughtered, you know? Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you kind of, you've kind of filled your trough pretty good. Let's, let's not get slaughtered along the way. So where the Dolphins stand right now, they've got number six, they've got number 18. Uh, the six pick came from Philadelphia. They've got number 36. That came from Houston. Number 50, they go into the round three. 81. They've got no pick in the fourth round. They've got the 101, number 156 overall, fifth round pick, no six, two in the seventh, number 231, and number 258. And, uh, you know, John, we, we talk, we always talk about the first round in this, in the draft going in because it's, you know, it's like the, uh, it's like the Masters, you know, it's, it's, it's the biggest one of the year, biggest pick, biggest round of the year. But boy, in those latter picks, John, you don't have a fourth, you don't have a sixth. Um, you can still find some pretty good guys there. So, and, and you know, at this day and age in the National Football League, the chances that all your all the rookies that you draft are going to end up on your football team. Well, you hope so. 
You hope you do a great enough job that some of those undrafted free agents make make a team, make yep. your roster, bolster that bottom 45 to 53, you know, and, and, and make an impact on your team. You hope you, you hit it out of the park in the first four picks and you hold on for dear life. If you pick up an extra pick along the way, great. But when you do, you're going to have to find those outside linebackers that can run, those safeties that can run, those tight backup tight ends that can run, and they can fill in on your special teams because that's where you're going to, you're going to be shy with draft choices. So you have to be very particular later in the round and, and undrafted free agents that you feel like you've seen that mold on your team before. You want to go copy that mold, get that guy with the right attitude and the right frame of mind that he knows it. He knows his job description and that's yep. how he's going to make his path onto the Miami Dolphins roster is through special teams. Yeah. It'd be nice if you could pluck another Andrew Van Ginkle or one of those guys out there that that's you, know, right. you get, him, get him in one of a loud around and all of a sudden, you know, two years later, you've you got as him a as a star and a starter and a star for your football team. Uh, and, and really that's, you know, that as much as anything going into this draft, John is going to make your draft. If you can find a couple jewels there in, in the latter part of the draft. You hope so, Bo. That, that would be, you know, the ribbon to tie everything together. Uh, you hit it out of the park. You do a great job early. You satisfy needs as you go along. <coughs> and then you find one or two players, Bo, that surprises you. That Brian Flores and his staff can develop and make into a NFL starting football player. That's yeah. what you're looking for. That You're looking for the mold, and then you have the coaching staff to do it. Yeah, and I'll tell you, one thing we've seen on this coaching staff is uh, they develop. They've developed players, and we've seen it in that short short time that, that Brian has been here, uh, that they do a good job. That, that leap from one year one to year two uh, has, been, has been pretty good uh, under those guys. Now it's time for our sit-down, amplified by Hard Rock Hotel. Joining us now from ESPN, covers the Dolphins, Cameron Wolf. Cam, thanks for uh, taking a little time out to join us here. Pre-draft, a lot of talk going on, a lot of information, a lot of misinformation. That's the greatest thing about pre-draft talk. No one knows what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, I love to call it smokescreen season. You know, you <laughs> all, everything coming from every different way. You know, you just try not to cough on the smoke because you're going to hear one day the Dolphins are doing this, this team's doing this, and then we all turn, turn into the draft and we're always surprised by something. Yeah. So it's, it's always good to make projections. But uh, I'd say there's 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 a smaller group of people who actually know for sure what's going to happen. Yeah, and, well, a very a very small group, and I think those that think they know don't really know because the ones that know aren't aren't really telling them. It, it is the the it is the time of misinformation at this point. But uh, but look, there's a lot of a lot of opportunities out there, and certainly for the Dolphins, certainly for the Dolphins. And you you know it's funny you talk about trying to project and trying to to pick who's going to be where. You know how it is, Cam. You get you get one outlier that pops up in the with the fifth pick in the draft, changes the whole draft board. Now everything you might as well just throw your your mock drafts out of the way because now they're all out of whack. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at what the Dolphins have done. Now they're at number six, and I I think it's added more intrigue because at number three you knew that you were going to get the best non quarterback on the board. Now you have a couple teams above you where it. it 
it could throw a wrench in it. What if what if Atlanta goes here? What if Cincinnati goes here? And I, I think those are the two spots that create the uncertainty because we can all project, oh, what happens if this player is on the board for Miami? But Atlanta and Cincinnati are going to have first pick, assuming the first three picks or quarterbacks like I think a lot of people are so I think that's what makes the draft exciting because you know one puzzle piece can change the whole whole thing you know and I've talked to scouts and and GMs before who have had picks and they're like hey I I never thought this guy would be here so yeah I didn't plan for him to be there so but I had to take him because he's the best player available so I I think that you know with the Dolphins having two first round picks it gives us an opportunity to see exactly how they stack up their board. And then most importantly, because there's always one or two fallers, who are the fallers yeah. and, you know, what team ends up getting them? <laughs> hey, let's, let's talk about a couple things first. Let, let's talk about the top of the draft a little bit. And then, and then let's get into the Dolphins. And, and I, I'm not one for projected names and this and that because there's so many variables here with these guys. But I do like to talk position-wise when I'm talking uh, the Dolphins going into the draft. But let, let's talk about – the draft and, and, and with the Dolphins sitting at number six right now, and I don't know, you know, you know, we, we you know, we listen to the, the we listen to the coaches every year. They have the coach and GM. They sit up there every year, have their pre-draft. You know, we're going to let you know what's going on here, and then you walk away and they say they didn't say a damn thing, <laughs> and, and so you're you're right in the same boat you were when you started, uh, not not knowing it. But with the Dolphins sitting at number six, but they always they all, the. The, the stock answer is we're going to take the best player available when it's our time to pull the trigger, right? So yes. here's my question to you in this year's draft. There's a good chance there's going to be four quarterbacks going to go right off the top of the draft, right? Probably three, but maybe four. Right. I think, there's, I think the three best players in the draft are one, Trevor Lawrence, 1A, and it can be 1A and 1B, goes either way, either Penny Sewell, the offensive tackle, from Oregon, and Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida. Mm-hmm. One, 1A, one and 1B. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I think that for me, I might make it a little larger group. I think that Trevor's probably clear one for me. Yep. And then I think there's a, a small group of maybe four or five people who are that next tier. And I'd have Kyle Pitts in there. I'd have Penny Sewell in there. I'd have Jamar Chase, the receiver yep. from LSU, in there. And I would probably have Devontae Smith, the receiver from Alabama. Yep. I know people knock him for his size, but yep. I would have him in that group as well. Um, so I, I'd say that you have Trevor, who's probably above and above, uh, beyond, and then you have a next group where there's four or five guys that are in that next tier. Yep. So I, I think, in my view, Miami's in a good spot because they're going to land someone. All right, my, 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 question, my, my question is this. Okay, you're at six. You're Chris right. Greer. Uh, you walk in saying, we're taking the best player available when our time comes. And you're sitting there, and you got Penny Sewell. You got Kyle Pitts and, 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 and all the rest of them. Because I'm putting those other guys maybe a half a notch below those three guys. Right. So if you got there and you got Kyle Pitts and you got Penny Sewell, two of the top three players in this pick, how do you answer when you don't pick one of those two? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think no, – no, no. We thought our guy, we thought our receiver – Right. Really like is better than those guys, even though everyone else goes, nah, I'm not so sure about that. Right. I think the interesting part of this is that everybody has their own draft board, right? Yep. And we hear the best player available, but to me, that's a little bit of a cliche. I think that there's always a best player available with need and positional value added into that. 
And I've heard this from teams all along, like teams just don't go BPA, you know, um, you, you go BPA with that in mind of, Hey, what do we need? And what's positional value? And, you know, a running back could be the best player in the draft, but a running back is not going to go number one overall in any year, probably yeah. going forward because those value that position isn't valued as highly. So I think BPA is only is used to an extent. So when you mention a, 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 a Penny Sewell and a Kyle Pitts, I, I think that those two players are both really good. Um, offensive tackles a more valuable position, yeah. but playmaker may be a, a position that the Dolphins need more. So you have to weigh those things and it, and it really comes down to a scale of what do you view as the, the short term and the long term for this franchise? Mm -hmm. Is adding Penny Sewell going to make you a, a better team five years down the line? Or is Kyle Pitts going to make you a better team? And, yeah. and to be honest, when you have a number six overall pick, it's hard to go wrong. Yeah, you know, you're it's, right. It's hard to say, you know, I, I mean, if they draft Penny Sewell, if they draft Kyle Pitts, even if they drafted Jamar Chase or Devontae yeah. Smith, I don't think any of those four players, to me, if yeah. you can walk away and say, hey, they made a mistake. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. And, and that kind of flips us over to the Dolphins pick. And then they've got one, they've got six right now. They've got 18. And then they've got what, 40? What's their, what's their? 30, 36 and then 50. 30, the 30, 36. So I, and I really don't start getting past 36 because it becomes a jumble then. Right. You know, it's hard enough to predict the top, you know, the, 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 the first round when you start getting in that mid to second round. So let's, let's just kind of focus on the Dolphins' first three picks. And for the sake of argument, let's assume that they don't make a move up or down with the, with the, the number six pick. Um, Name-wise, position-wise, what would you what would you like to see? What do you think would make this team the better best team they can be going forward by utilizing those three picks from a position standpoint? Yeah, when I look at number six, I guess to start, I, I look at what the Dolphins did last year, and to me, that was a meat and potatoes draft. Uh, Andy yep. Reid for the for the Chiefs used to always have that expression, meat and potatoes. And Chris Greer is a guy who believes in building in the trenches. So they drafted, you know, Austin Jackson. They drafted a Robert Hunt and a Solomon Kinley. And they went out and, and, and bought, you know, spent money on, on uh, Eric Flowers and for agency. So to me, 2020, they really built the trenches. And I know some people could say you never put enough resources in the offensive line. But for me, I really see – playmaker as the position for number six who is your best playmaker available and I think we've talked about some of those names whether it be a Kyle Pitts from Florida who I've talked to people who say he's the best tight end prospect in, in at least a decade maybe longer um, there's never been a, a, a tight end drafted in the top four there's only been a handful that have been drafted in the top six but he's that type of player I think he's got to be in heavy consideration if he's available since he in Atlanta could be interested in him too um, Jamar Chase, I think, is another name, another the receiver who's going to be right there. You know, is it just Joe Burrow in Cincinnati try to reunite with them? If not, then Miami could have a choice of of one or both of those guys at six. And I, I'd imagine that a lot of fans and a lot of people on the outside are looking at those two players and say, maybe those are the top two most likely guys that we'd love to get, you know, a Jamar Chase or a Kyle Pitts. So I'd probably start with them as the two playmakers I'd, I'd look at. But but beyond that, I, I wouldn't rule out Devontae Smith. I wouldn't rule out a Penny Sewell because um, when you put up your draft board, if you if the Dolphins, I think when they traded back and then traded back up, made it known that, hey, we've got four or five guys that we'd be comfortable getting any of these guys at six. 
And after that, it's just preference. So yeah. that, they clearly think there's a group that's tightly bunched together. So we may say, hey, these two are way ahead of the other and these three are separate. But yeah. to me, when they trade it down and trade it back up, they say four or five are close. Yeah. So we don't know what order, but we're going to find out, you know, in a few weeks. And their order might surprise some people. They might yeah. have one of the receivers ahead of, you know, a Kyle Pitt. So they might have, you know, Penny Sewell ahead of the receivers. Yeah. And I feel comfortable with the four or five names. I don't feel comfortable telling you for sure which one they're going to get. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you what, I, I've been, you know, my, my, my thoughts since, since the season ended with these picks now, once they got the picks, I, I'd like to see, I'd, I'd like, I would, I would like to walk away with two receivers and, and a running back. Yeah. Travis Etienne or Najee Harris, one of those guys, you know, and I, I know running back is not, but you know, I, I, I'm a, I've kind of, I've kind of come to believe now that especially where the dolphins are, and you look at teams down there, you know, you got about a five-year window. You, you load up your team, you got about a five-year window to get the job done. Because right. the better you do, all of a sudden the, the salary cap starts eroding your, your, your roster. And, and now you kind of start going backwards. Once you, once you start getting good, you start getting pulled down backwards. And, and so, um, so with, with the Dolphins uh, doing that, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there a little bit. But um, – I just think that, you know, a running back, a guy that can be a three-down player for you, whether he's only going to last, whether he's only going to last four or five years for you, that's your window of that's your window to get to a Super Bowl. Right. So why not do it? Why not do it with a guy instead of trying to take three guys to fill right. that void? So again, I'm just getting off of my tangent on I wouldn't no, mind, no. I wouldn't mind a running one of those two running backs, Etienne or Harris drop to the Dolphins some way. Yeah, no, and I think that kind of leads us to maybe the next pick. You're, you're, we've talked number 18 and, and that pick. And to me, number 18 is, is maybe just yep. as interesting, if not more than number six, because there are more options and different ways you can go about it. And yep. I think that adds the question. Like I wrote an article on ESPN.com about Najee Harris, right? So um, Najee Harris, to me, is the best Dolphins fit of mm-hmm. the three backs. You know, he's a guy who's – Two, six, six, two, 230 pounds. Yep. He's physical. He's a really good pass catcher. Um, so he's a guy who can carry the load that you were talking about, but he's, but he also has the multifaceted skill set. You know, I think a back these days has to be able to catch the ball. You can't just have, you know, the 40, 40 carry guy who can't catch. That doesn't exist anymore. Your right. back has to be able to do both. And I think Najee can do both. The Dolphins are going to have an interesting dilemma because I believe he's going to be the, on the board at number 18. I believe all three of the running backs. And I think there's a, clear top three with Najee Harris, Travis Etienne, and Javante Williams. You know, you can order them how you want, but I think those are the top three. The Dolphins are going to have to decide, do we want to take that running back spot at number 18, or do we want to wait to that number 36 pick? And that, to me, is one of the more interesting decisions in the draft because the Dolphins haven't drafted a running back in the first round since Ronnie Brown in 2005. So clearly that is a position that over the last 15, you know, 16 years, they haven't valued – to, to put the resources in. Does that change this year? You know, at 18, they're probably going to have a couple options of maybe getting a pass rusher. You know, there's no, not a really heavy pass rusher uh, class at the top. So they may have two or three different pass rushers that are there who are first round talents at 18, yeah. or they can go an offensive line again and get maybe a guard. Um, you know, there, there's a few options, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker's a guy I've seen mocked to the dolphins a lot. Another UFC, USC guy. 
Um, the edge rushers we talked about, you know, Quiddy Pay um, yeah. from Michigan and uh, Aziz Ajulari from Georgia, uh, a couple of the Miami edge rushers, Jalen Phillips and Greg Russo. There's there's plenty of options. So the, so that's going to come back to the board again. You know, I think their Dolphins are going to have multiple first-round talents available at 18. It's, it's whether you do that running back there or you wait to round two. Um, but I think regardless, the Dolphins have to find them a, a feature back early yeah. in the draft, whether that be at 18, 36, or 50. But it might be risky to wait to 50. I knew I liked you. I knew I liked the way, I knew I liked the way you thought, man. Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, before I let you go, uh, let, let's, let's touch on the, on, on the trail that uh, the tool has taken. Uh, gets picked in the fifth pick in the draft last year. Uh, Fitz gets a start. Uh, he comes in. And then, and then all of a sudden he gets in, they take him out, and it creates like this whole – like Tua, Tua went from being the golden boy to who the hell wants that guy <laughs> in, 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 from walking from the middle of the field to the sideline, right. changed, the whole, changed the whole way people reflect on Tua. And, and I'm, I'm a little shocked by it, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's been a crazy whirlwind in the last six months. I remember talking to really the last, you know, six and nine months. You know, I remember talking to fans after Tua got drafted and, you know, there were people who were excited, jumping into pools, you know, crying. They thought this guy, you know, everybody's waiting for the next Dan Marino. That's every every single year you hear that. And it seemed to a lot of folks that Tua might be the best chance they have in getting that next closest thing. And, yeah, you're right. That rookie year, um, it, it, a lot of people jumped off the boat. You know, a lot of people were, were no longer interested. And, and I think it's a little foolish to give up on a quarterback after one year. I mean, I think different people had different perspectives. I think Tua was in a situation where um, Justin Herbert had a really phenomenal uh, rookie season for the Chargers. And he was the guy that was picked right after Tua. So a lot of people were comparing and contrasting contrasting uh, those two guys. And I think that really hurt the view of Tua because it's like, Justin had a great year. And then afterwards, there's all the rumblings of these veteran quarterbacks who are available, whether it's Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson. And all of that creates a, a situation where you're not happy with what you have. Um, yeah. And you don't really consider the context of what Tua maybe had to go through in his rookie year, coming off injury, you know, not really having the comfort with the guys around him, you know, uh, being in an offensive system that may not have been fully fit to what he does best. So I, I think year two, we're going to see a better tour. That's my view. I yeah. think that they're doing a better job early in free agency, and I expect them to continue in the draft of building around him, getting him more playmakers, getting the offense more balanced. And I think with a full offseason, you're going to see a, a better version, a more confident version, a more aggressive version of Tua. And hopefully that maybe erases some of the question marks that people seem to still have about the long-term quarterback position in Miami. You know, you, you know, I, I kind of look at this too. You, you look back at, you look back at, at Justin Herbert and, and you can look at uh, Burrow obviously. And, and um, what's the name of the kid from uh, Alabama that's in Philadelphia. I, 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 Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts, who by the way, I wanted the Dolphins to pick up last year. <laughs> in there, but I'm just saying it. But you know, all, with all those guys, <clears throat> and the one thing all those guys had, Cam, was they had an off season to throw the football, to throw mm -hmm. the football to receivers, to work on the field. Meanwhile, Tua spent his whole off season rehabbing his hip and didn't start throwing a football until he walked into training camp. I don't think he threw a football for the first couple of days of training camp. In right. fact, and so here's a guy that you're judging a guy who didn't have the offseason 
that these other guys had to prepare by throwing to receivers and, and doing all these things. And I think that sometimes is forgotten when you look at Tua because he did some really good things out there. And there were some things he did that just said, hey, could do him a little better. But, you know, it, it wasn't like he was – he certainly wasn't Ryan Leaf out there. That's for yeah. damn sure. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's a little overblown that Tua was bad last year. I don't think yeah. that he was bad. I think the best description was he was up and down. You know, I think yeah. in that Arizona game, I saw some real highs where I'm like, this mm-hmm. guy could be the franchise quarterback for a while. And then the Buffalo game probably left a really bad taste, the last yeah. Buffalo game in a lot of people's mouth. But everybody was smacked around. That whole team, it was, it was really a show that they probably weren't proud of and they want to improve on. So I, I think that we have to be honest that Tua has to improve. He has to be better from where he was last year. But I think that you have a good base. And, you know, I'm not a big make excuses for quarterbacks guy. But I think if you put all the context of what Tua had to deal with and what he has going forward, I think that if what we saw last year is the floor for Tua, then I'm excited to see what the next step is because we may, you know, we saw what he did, like you said, with little off season, with not, you know, coming off an injury with not much rhythm, what can he do when he has all of those things at his advantage? And, you know, if he, if he still doesn't improve through that, then, then maybe you can evaluate it. And maybe your answer is he's not the answer, but I don't think that nine games is enough of a uh, sample size to give up on a guy that you drafted the fifth overall pick last year. And you clearly thought enough to, to make your franchise quarterback. Well, as we've seen these days, quarterbacks walking on the razor's edge, man, <laughs> you have a few bad game and yep. out the door, you know? Yep. So what have you done for me lately? This is a real <laughs> quick twitch, you know, lead. Jared you know? Goff and Wentz and those guys, that's those guys what it's like playing quarterback in the NFL. Hey, one thing I always think about, think about what if Buffalo would have gave up on Josh Allen after that yeah. year when right. he looked really rough and everybody was talking about how much of a project he was. And even the second year, you know, and now he he's viewed as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. And I'm not saying that Tua is going to necessarily make that same ascension, but I, I think that we get in it's such a – opportunity to, to show, yeah. Exactly, exactly. We, we, we're so quick to make those hot take yeah. decisions that we don't let the guys develop. Yeah, there you go. Hey, Cam, always a pleasure, man. Always enjoy reading your stuff on ESPN. Everyone out there, go to ESPN.com. Check out Cam Wolf. He's got the best Dolphin coverage. And appreciate you spending time with us. And uh, looking forward to seeing you in person here soon, sometime pretty soon. Yeah, hopefully soon. Appreciate you, man. All right, Cam, thanks for it. Well, John, with all the talk about the draft and who the Dolphins are going at, then we take a look at the little snapshot of the league. And and, and kind of a big change, John, that – uh, that the league uh, is, is mandated this year when they went in there, got their league season, league year going, um, implementing a 17 game season. You knew it was coming. Uh, they dropped down three preseason games um, and, and 17 regular season games. And John, look, I, I, when I came to the league in 1976, we were still playing six preseason games and, and 14 regular season games. And, and in 1977, we actually played in the uh, in the um, Hall of Fame game, so we played seven preseason games wow. and fourteen regular season games. And when we went from fourteen to sixteen, um, it was a different mentality for players back then. It was, oh, now we only have four preseason games instead of six. We're all for it. A little right. different feeling now going to seventeen games and the way it fixed players, and really kind of the way players have reacted. But some good, some bad. Uh, to me, it's another game check. Yeah, I think so, Bo. I, I think that you can, you can do that. It's doable. 
And I, I think the players probably would like, you know, to see maybe two preseason games. I, I, I don't think they're done. I don't think the NFL's done tweaking yeah. what they want to do with the regular season. And and then yeah. and in and included in that, Bo, the offseason is going to be probably virtual again. You know, all the OTAs are probably going to be on the computer. There are probably not a lot of teams in the NFL that are going to go out and physically uh, mandate that the players show up. So it's going to be less taxing in the offseason on your body. You're going to be virtually learning just like they did last year. And, and I think it'll be and accepted. It'll be fun for the fans, number one, to see yeah. another meaningful game. I just think that eventually they're going to back off that preseason from three to two. It might make it 18 and two. I don't yeah, know well, in the future, but I, I, I think, I think all, all roads kind of point to that direction. I think that's where we're going. And, and you know, it, to me, I would, I would prefer 18, you know, you're going to play 20 games anyway, you, you know, uh, and I would prefer 18 and two uh, and, and then, and then, and then do those two preseason games, have joint practices with them. Yeah. And, and then get the season going because that's what everyone wants. And, and look, if you're a player, I understand the, the, the toll, but, but, you know, the league's not what it was before. I, I mean, back in, in, back when you were going six preseason games, you could play. Looking, I think, down the road, I, I, think, I think we can see the future. 18 games, two preseason games. I know the, the Players Association is probably going to battle against that for a number of years, much like they did to get to 17, but it's going to happen. You'll do two preseason games, do, do inter, you know, practice with that team, uh, a couple practices before – uh, and, and then get it going and then get the regular season going. I, I think that's what the fans want. I think it's what the league wants. And, and at some point, the players are going to get on board. Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's what you're going to be looking at, Bo. But, you know, it's good to see the league and the players working together, trying to get it right for the offseason, for the preseason, and for the regular season. And I agree with you. If they end up going just to two eventually, or even if it stays at three, I still think, you know, Tampa Bay and Jacksonville, the Dolphins in Jacksonville, Atlanta and Miami, you know, some kind of practice uh, where you practice two or three days, you play your preseason game, you get a lot more quality work on film that you can evaluate players in a, in a more meaningful atmosphere because there's fans involved. There's, there's, you know, it means more when you're going up against a different color. So I, I think you'll see a lot more of that, hopefully, because I think it makes the, it makes the game better. It speeds yeah. up their progression as a player to get systems in and see how you, how you do against somebody else that, that hasn't seen already and knows your offense and your defense and your, your calls. So, uh, and, and even in individual drills, I think it makes it better for the players. It challenges them yeah. more and gets them ready quicker for the regular season. Well, I, I'm right. I, I'm with you, John, that I, you know, when, you know, we, we've both been to joint practices. We've both seen how they go. And I've, I've always felt since the first time, look, we used to do it with, uh, we'd go and practice against the Atlanta Falcons or scrimmage against the Saints. And, but watching joint practices now, the way they're run now, I would rather do, you know, as a coach, give me four joint practices, forget the preseason games, because I think you get much more out of those joint practices because you can put your players in the situations you want to see them in against the other players. You don't know you're going to get that all the time in a preseason game. Well, everything is scripted. Everything's, yeah. everything's drawn up for a reason. And you already know kind of the outcome of what you're going to get in terms of the play call. You're just, you don't know what's going to happen because it's a different body going up against your defensive back or a, yeah. a different offensive lineman going up against a defensive end on a, on a pure one-on-one -on -one rush. Or uh, it's, a, it's a seven on seven 
and you want to be able to script certain plays to see if your young corner can pick up the calls. Right. So I, I agree with you. There's, there's much merit into joint practices. And I think that's where the NFL is going. And I can't wait to get the draft in the, in the rear, in the, in the rear view mirror, get training camps going and, and see what, uh, see what a more closer to normal, hopefully 2021 brings for this football team, John. Well, it'd be fun to finally attach some names in a Sharpie and put them yeah. on your roster and see who they are and how they're going to be able to develop and be able to be playmakers right away for this football team. And, and I'm hoping it's a, it's a heavily drafted offensive theme for the Miami Dolphins, especially early in the draft. And we get that one or two wide receivers that this team can, can add to bolster this passing attack. No doubt. Going to be a, going to be a good night, going to be a good season, going to be a good preseason. And I can't wait to get things going. And uh, you guys can stick around with us with the Audible all the way through the draft. We'll have some special shows for you, keep you in touch with everything that's going on before, after, and during the draft. So stay right here with us here on the Audible. For Kim Boat, for John Kim Jimmy, I'm Kim Bo Camper. You guys have a good week. Stay safe. We'll speak to you next time.